Imagine funding a losing battle every day as an oncologist. Then I want you to imagine what it feels like to learn that you've been funding the very illness that's killing your patients. Meet Dr. Bronwyn King. She calls herself the accidental activist, and she's one of the most butt-kicking CEOs I've ever met. When she founded tobacco-free portfolios, she had a plan to stop the more than 8 million deaths annually around the world. Her mission is to create a tobacco-free world, and I know it might sound hopelessly impossible, but when you hear what Dr. King is doing, she is literally cutting off the blood supply to the tobacco industry, one of the most powerful industries in the world. This is her story. Welcome to Sippin' On Stories, where we take you into the lives of diverse and unique change makers who turn anxiety, fear, and passion into powerful recipes for success. Good stories build insightful connections. What great stories. Now, that's something special. Today's story is one of those stories. Hi, my name is Rose McInerney. Thank you for joining us here on Sipping on Stories. Today, we're sipping on the story of Dr. Bronwyn King. This is going to be butt-kicking today. She is a doctor that is an oncologist in Australia, and she discovered that her pension fund was investing in the very thing that was killing people, the patients that she treats every day. She was shocked, and she, needed to, she realized she needed to do something about it. So before we meet Dr. Bronwyn King, I want you to take a minute and I'd love you to hit that subscribe button. Don't forget to circle back as well at the end of the podcast and visit our sippingonstories.com. That website will tell you a little bit more about today's guest. You'll see related links, how you can connect with her. And we also have some very special giveaways uh, and announcements that are happening. If you're listening to today's show, you may think that Dr. Bronwyn King's quest is crazy. The idea of fighting a massive global industry that's worth over a trillion dollars is, to say the very least, daunting. Um, but here on Sipping on Stories, the word impossible isn't even part of our vocabulary when you meet the guests and see the kinds of challenges that they overcome. I can't wait for you to meet Dr. Bronwyn King. She's one of the sharpest women I know. But before we do, I've prepared a cup of white tea to sip on. The truth is, I'd probably prefer something a little more powerful, perhaps even something like scotch to match the kind of punch that Dr. King gives. But Dr. King is super healthy, so I'm going to be drinking on something super healthy this time. I must admit that white tea has all kinds of really good benefits that match our incredible change maker today. Like the doctor's white coat, it offers a sense of protection. White tea is known to prevent all kinds of conditions like osteoporosis, heart disease, gum bacteria, ugh, sagging skin, and of course, cancer. There probably isn't enough tea in the world to help me to get all the detoxing in my body that I need to do, but I'm working on it. So I guess this white uh, tea is a, a great place to start. So let's head into the lounge and meet Dr. King. And as we do, I want to take a minute as well to thank our sponsor. That's Womanscape.com. We really appreciate their living library of stories about women, leaders who are building fearless change in the world. 
You can visit womanscape.com online to learn more as well about Dr. King and to read her story in our latest freedom issue there. So without any further ado, I am so proud to welcome you, Dr. King, into what we like to call the Sipping on Stories Lounge. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Ah, such a pleasure. This is a long-awaited chat. I know that you and I had an opportunity to meet in Toronto well before all the craziness of COVID hit. and Different world. Oh, I never expected we would be here, as um, we all feel, but um, this is a wonderful opportunity to circle back while you are at home and you are not jet-setting anywhere at the moment, so there are small blessings here. Um, Are you still actively practicing in the hospital? Are you busy, uh, you know, doing what doctors do? Well, actually, um, since I started my charity, which is tobacco-free portfolios, my work in the hospital has scaled down dramatically. At first, it just started as a little project on the side, and I was still continuing all of my clinical work um, as a full-time doctor. But then this work just slowly, well, it sort of chose me and overtook me. And um, and so my work in the hospital has scaled down to just an hour or so a week. So um, I have, though, put forward my name to volunteer across the board in case they need to call up you know, doctors who are not fully utilised, and I definitely fall into that category. But at the moment, we're very lucky that despite the second wave of outbreak, which we're currently experiencing in Melbourne, and we are under, you are joining me in stage four lockdown in Melbourne, um, but I haven't actually been called up. So I'm very lucky at the moment that, um, you know, things are under control here. Right, right. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I guess, I mean, I think Australia has handled this quite well on the world stage compared to many other countries too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's been just such a fascinating time to watch leaders in all countries react because yeah. I love that analogy of everybody's building the plane while it's in full flight. <laughs> I really yes. That very much. And right. I think that every country is learning the good things and the bad things that other countries are doing. And so um, in Australia, being so close to New Zealand, we're often comparing ourselves to New Zealand because they have been exceptional when it comes to dealing with the coronavirus. They've, yes. I mean, yes, they've had an outbreak now, but they had 102 days without any community transmission. And so that's just across the Tasman for us. Um, wow. So we've got a lot to live up to, but certainly many states in Australia have eliminated community transmission and effectively been able to almost live a normal life again. Um, yeah. But we're quite some way from that in Melbourne, but uh, at least we're, we're aiming high and, yes. um, and at least we have a plan. You know, it has been very difficult to see some countries effectively not have a plan at all. And yes. we've seen the devastating suffering and death tolls that has followed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really scary thing. Um, you know, I don't think there's any end in sight. And I know that in coming on and chatting about tobacco-free portfolios, a big part of what you were doing was on a plane and traveling around the world and meeting with people face-to-face and having those conversations. Um, are you finding that it's difficult to do this? I'm, I'm assuming you're Zooming and Skyping your days away. Is that, that's is, it. Yeah. Well, that's it. So it's true. So last year I spent 100 days outside of Melbourne, 100 days okay. outside my own city. Days. And a lot of that was overseas. And when I say overseas, a lot of that was in North America or Europe, which for an Australian is 24 hours on a mm. plane to get there and 24 hours to get home and very bad jet lag at both ends. So, 
it's really very brutal, to be honest. And so when we first went into lockdown in March and everything stopped, I was just so exhausted because (laughs) really for the preceding five years I'd been living like that and I think my body just got a shock and said, what on earth have you been doing to me? We need to sleep. So I I pretty much just snoozed my way through March, which wasn't a bad way to pass the time. Um, But for me it's actually been interesting in seeing how accessible leaders are virtually because if I had have gone back to even, say, February before this really started, There is just no chance that I would have been able to secure meetings with these key leaders in finance, in health, in government, in diplomacy, virtually. That just wasn't happening. But now, right here from my own office in Melbourne, Australia, I can secure those meetings. I don't have to wait for a a slot in their diary to go and see them personally. And I don't have to fly across the world, which is not only extremely costly um, physically, but it's costly financially. Mm-hmm. It's costly for the environment. It's not sustainable um, right. in so many ways. But instead, they can just log on, I can log on, and we can have a chat. And I think that is possible. And I'm sure many of your listeners would agree that it's possible to do that if it's your second, third, or fourth meeting with someone. What I think is going to be the big challenge is how do you create that great vibe, you know, that <laughs> real special connection with someone that says, I like you, that says, I trust you, that says, you know, I, I'm going to go with you on this journey, which is essentially what I'm asking people to do. How do you create that when your first meeting might be virtual? I I don't know if I have the answer. If any of your listeners do ring in and tell me, (laughs) I think it's really hard. Um, but I'm lucky that we, because I just traveled so much over the past five years, there's so many first and second conversations I've had that I'll be able to follow them up probably for many years. So I'm hoping that I'll be fine until there is a vaccine. Honestly, I, I, the energy in your voice, if there is nothing else that's going to do it for you, Dr. King, is that as well. I mean, um, truly you've got such an engaging personality. And, um, I think that the work that you are doing, the fact that you've got the white coat behind Behind you to speak to the specifics of what's involved with the tobacco industry really gives you a leg up. But I'm happy to hear that there is a silver lining. And of course, when we look at what COVID has done, everyone's talking about underlying conditions. That's so- it. That's it. And the finance sector as well. You know, for five years, I've been flying around trying to encourage the finance sector to talk about health. Mm. And I've so often been brushed off and people have just wanted to talk about money, talk about other risks, this and that. But now everybody's coming to me saying, hang on, there is no wealth without health. Can we go back and talk about health again? And so this is for us actually a really great moment because I think the whole world is seeing for itself that if you don't have general health and confidence in public health, if you have people dying from a preventable cause because Mm -hmm. policies aren't put in place, because leadership is not executed well, if that is the case, people just don't have confidence. People don't spend money. People don't open businesses or people close businesses that were previously um, sort of unthinkable to go bankrupt or to shut down. And so I think this is a real moment when we need to put everything on the table again. And I've been so pleased to see so many people challenge systems, not just challenge something you know, on the outskirts or something around the edges, people have actually said, hang on a minute, this whole system needs a rejig and now's the time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think you're absolutely right. Of course you're right. Um, But I do believe that 
just having nature, having this pause, being able to get out, questioning our health. And of course, finance, you hit it finance. And I think this is a great segue into what tobacco-free portfolios is all about, because that's the bloodline. That's the life of an industry that is funding truly, well, I'm going to let you speak about it, but I mean, we're, we're funding, they are producing a product that is 50 plus carcinogens in it, are systems of government that support healthcare and treat people that are succumbing to cancer and all those related um, diseases that we have as a result. We're recognizing we can't pay for this. We're having trouble getting ventilators. We, we, we don't have the supply system, the chain in place to even afford this. So it's been Uber-sized, hasn't it? The, the, Absolutely. I like that word. Yeah. Can I Absolutely. Well, I'm going to put that into lots of conversations for the next week. I love it. Um, it has been oversized. And I think, you know, really, so shall I maybe just share a little bit of the story Please. about how I got involved? So as a background, yeah, I'm a radiation oncologist. So um, a cancer doctor and all throughout my training before, as I became a specialist, I really saw firsthand what tobacco did to people. So tobacco is responsible for one third of all cancers. And in addition, that's just cancer. In addition to that, there's emphysema, there's heart disease, there's stroke, there's all sorts of terrible things. But as a cancer doctor, you just can't miss it. And I was so often the person on the ward ringing families, um, asking them to, to rush in to say goodbye to loved ones, to say goodbye to brothers and sisters and mothers and best friends and treasured people who really, really shouldn't be leaving the world and people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s. And so everybody knows tobacco's bad, but when you're that person on the front line saying what's going on, it really does uh, quite literally take your breath away. There's there's the emotional part. There's And I I like my patients. (laughs) So for me, you know, it just broke my heart to to watch so many people die. And, And so... Knowing that, then uh, in 2010, I was buying a house with my husband and we sat down with the accountant um, to to work out how much money we could borrow and which kind of house we could have. And the accountant said, look, you two need to sort out your money. How much money do you have in your pension plan? Mm. And Australia has a compulsory pension system and whatever job you have, your employer must put an additional 9.5% into a pension plan. And you don't need to do anything it just happens magically. You just start working and there you go. And so I knew that pensions existed, but that was yes. it. I didn't know the name of my plan. I had, I really, to be honest, I didn't have very much interest in it. I just was just being a doctor and living a very normal doctor life. Right. But I'm very obedient. So the accountant said, sort yourself out. So off I go and I meet with the uh, representative for the pension plan for all of the specialists working at this right. very big cancer hospital that I was working at. It's kind of like Australia's Princess Margaret Hospital. It's the okay. equivalent of Australia's PMH. Okay, okay. So, so I'm working there, this huge cancer hospital. Yes. And, uh, and I meet with a representative from the pension plan in the cafeteria at the hospital and we have a nice chat and he shows me how much money I have and, you know, I had a latte and everything was nice, shook his hand, <laughs> the meeting finished. And then completely as an afterthought, I rushed back and I said to him, oh, by the way, was I meant to tell you what to do with that money? Yes. And he said, no, 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 no. It's all taken care of. You're in the default option. Oh. I just sort of thought for a second and I said, oh, you know, option, does that mean there are other options? Mm -hmm. And uh, he looked at me and he rolled his eyes at me. (gasps) Oh, look, there is this one greeny special option for people who have a problem with investing in mining alcohol or tobacco. And then there was silence. 
Oh. And I said, did you just say tobacco? And he said, yes. And I said, so are you telling me I'm currently investing in tobacco? And he said, oh, yes, everybody is. <sighs> and that was it. It was just this extraordinary moment because I thought, goodness me, you know, what am I doing? I'm going to work every day fully yes. witnessing the mm-hmm. true impact of tobacco. And it really weighed very heavily on me. And then at the same mm-hmm. time, I find out my money is invested in the companies that make the products that are killing my own patients. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, so I just, you know, I just, I haven't slept for the past 10 years because I just thought that's a problem that's got to be fixed. It's just wrong. It doesn't, no. it, it's just, it makes no sense. And so Wow. To cut a long story short, I set up a, a, a not-for-profit, a charity, and yes. our goal is to work with the finance sector broadly, so pension plans, banks, insurance agencies, mm-hmm. asset managers, sovereign wealth funds, just work with the finance sector full stop and really ask the finance sector to stop and have a think, learn a bit more, and instead of investing in tobacco, lending money to tobacco or insuring tobacco, instead... Right stand side by side with all the doctors and all the healthcare workers out there, stand by side by side with all the parents out there who are trying to teach the new generation not yes. to smoke and stand by side by side with governments that are, by and large, doing so many things to try to protect their own people from right. Right. Honestly, I can't imagine that cafeteria scene. Um, and the way that you describe that, the fact that, that this representative rolled his eyes. And it was, you know, well, you really don't need to know it's all taken care of. And Absolutely. I have to ask you, um, the other doctors that you worked with, were they aware of this? Was this a big Until aha? I told them all. <laughs> so yeah. I, that's it. So I realized very quickly that yeah. it wasn't just about me. No. I realized every person working at that hospital would just be so disappointed. But then actually I, th- I worked at a few other hospitals as well and I thought, well, hang on, they're all going to be disappointed because this makes no yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, I worked at a women's hospital and I thought, well, you know, um, this doesn't make sense for children and women. This doesn't make sense for people coming into the emergency department having a heart attack. This doesn't make sense for actually the community at large. It just made, you know, it really was very jarring. And then when I did start to work with the finance sector, of course, I realised it wasn't just Australia. It's the whole world. world. It's the whole finance sector has never really had this moment of reckoning and really thought that, it just doesn't make sense anymore. All the rest of the world treats tobacco very differently and recognises the, the enormous suffering and, and death toll and the cost that you mentioned. It's estimated yes. that governments around the world fork out more than $1 trillion US dollars every year just treating tobacco-related illness. That's every year. And we know that even oh. if everybody stopped smoking today, everyone, overnight, we would still have... 40 years of death and disease pre-programmed um, today. Oh, wow. Okay. And so this, that's not just a one-year thing. This is this has got, no. uh, you know, a generational no. legacy. No. And I did a little bit of homework with these numbers as well, and I understand that just the tobacco industry itself is around a, a, a little over a trillion dollars, is it not, in size? What's the size in, of the tobacco in industry? In market cap of all the yes. different companies, that, yeah. that would be about right. Um, yeah. That would be about right. I mean, it's largely dominated by six multinational companies. It's very okay. concentrated. Okay. And I always think, you know, these companies are not just random things. No. Companies no. are set up by human beings and the world let them set up right. and the world needs to stop them. Um, you know, they, they didn't exist. They're not natural no. beings. <laughs> no, we can no. we can control what 
you know, we can control how companies behave and the impact yes. they have on the world. Yeah. But yeah. this really is just such an extraordinary case study. And so it's been a great way to open conversations around sustainability and how yes. we care for people and the planet, those more broad yes. themes that you yes. talked about. Well, and those things, when we get into the meat of this, I mean... From what you're saying, I mean, this, the industry size, the tobacco, um, you know, market cap, governments are paying the same amount that they are bringing in the door, really, that they are, um, you know, creating. So we're fighting to, to sustain something that we know is inherently bad for us. It's that maybe we haven't hit that pause button. We haven't had a moment where somebody called it out in that way. Um, I know that I wrote an article about you, Dr. King. It was such an enlightening experience for me to understand that when we think of the tobacco industry, we think about cigarettes. We just think about the cigarettes, the production of them. You sort of get into just that mindset. You think the old way of, you know, we're producing something and we don't recognize the higher costs, not just beyond cancer, we are talking about a whole industry, and I'm, I'm hoping you can share a little bit about that because I know you've gone to the United Nations with this, to, to, and you've had some amazing success there, but also maybe you can speak to what is the, the larger implication when it comes to human rights and pollution and all kinds of other related Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. those are really great points. And you know what? Some yeah. of those things you said you uh, learnt about when you were doing yes. the interview, I had to learn about too because right. I was a doctor. So I right. wasn't an expert on human rights or sustainability or deforestation or ocean plastic, but now I've become a mini expert on these things because it turns out that right. tobacco really does cast a lens over almost every element of sustainability that there is. So just a few that would be of interest to your readers. Please, please. Um, the ones that really stand out for me that I had to learn about was that the tobacco industry significantly relies on child labour in the yeah. supply chain. So the US Department of Labor currently has a list of 16 countries in the world that use child labor to produce tobacco leaf, 16. Now, wow. interestingly, the US doesn't list itself, even though Human Rights Watch International has, has done three reports in the last three years um, showing evidence of uh, child labor on tobacco farms in the USA. Really? So we do know there's at least 17 countries that use child labor. And I mean, that's just appalling. We would never yeah. accept that in downtown Toronto no. or downtown Melbourne. No. We just no. would never do it. No. But uh, you know, would you invest in companies that have that as a significant part of their supply chain? It's just incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. But you're right, it's a hidden thing. So people just don't realize. The other one that's just been getting enormous traction of late is the issue of ocean plastic. And yes. in Australia, I'm not sure if this happened in, in Canada, but in Australia, yes. plastic straws nearly disappeared overnight. Yes. I've just never seen a faster sort of social change because Mm -hmm. People really show they care about ocean plastic. We know the community cares about this. Yes. Now, what I found absolutely alarming was that actually the number one ocean plastic is cigarette filters. Okay. Now, I, I cannot believe that. We, I did not know that. Now, the plastic no. in cigarette filters is non-biodegradable, so it doesn't biodegrade. It, it dissipates and turns into microplastics, and those microplastics are eaten by fish, fish. and then it go into the human food chain Right. fish, which is, of course, the most grotesque thing you can imagine. And as soon as I found that out, my fish consumption just totally dropped off. But it, it really is yeah. disgusting. And so once these issues become more prominent, I think people really do take care. Even um, mm -hmm. 
things like uh, just two months ago, it came to light that in Indonesia, more money is now spent on tobacco than on rice. I mean, how can that be in a country where we know there is food insecurity? Yes. Uh, we know that in this climate crisis, 5% of global deforestation is due to tobacco. 5%. Here you go. a massive amount. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Ocean. these statistics, yeah, this is it. So these statistics yeah. really do sort of make people just stop and think mm-hmm. in addition to mm-hmm. the extraordinary health impact and the pure financial cost to governments, which, of course, is borne by taxpayers, by, yeah. the, by the community. In yeah. addition, there's so many other elements there that are worth you know, yeah. make tobacco worth the conversation. So so even if our, our audience is listening to just the little checklist, the short list that we've created, it's even deeper than that. But we are talking deforestation. So we're looking at, I mean, I've really taken solace being at home the last few months. I've taken solace in being able to go outside uh, to take that breath of fresh air, um, you know, to imagine a world where we can't do that because we are depleting our earth, then we are filling our earth with these pollutants. But to your point, it's outside of anything related to the actual harmful effects of ingesting, not just ingesting and being sick, but the production um, itself and who's doing it. I know that um, in the article, I highlighted the fact that, you know, we talk about what it means to have human trafficking, really, or to have this, this violation of human rights that we just would not put up with if we knew And when you look at the numbers and the kids that are being targeted, there are a couple of areas around the world where it's young people that are being targeted. You know, we quickly got those vapes off the, you know, the vapor type things that we were plugging or that tobacco companies were using as an alternative. But but these are hot items for young people in places like China and India. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think um, for me, I had a wake up call last year. I, um, like many Australians, um, I went to Bali in Indonesia uh, for a holiday. Yes. Sure. And in fact, uh, Indonesia is um, is a very challenging area for tobacco control. There is, um, it's it's almost like going back in time um, right. for, for an Australian. And so there were just massive, massive advertisements for cigarettes everywhere, just absolutely <laughs> everywhere. And, um, and so, you know, while on one hand, tobacco companies, you know, they really do try to say positive things and, um, that, you you know, which really need every degree of skepticism you can muster when you read them. Um, they say one thing in, you know, high income countries and in low income or middle income countries right next door, they, um, go on promoting and selling and, and doing everything they can to recruit new um, consumers and overwhelmingly sure. people who start smoking are children and in fact Australia has the oldest average age of people starting smoking and that is 16 years and two months that's, that's the, the oldest. oldest that's correct that's the oldest average age in the world every other country the average age of started, starting smoking is under 16 mm-hmm. um, in many countries it's uh, 10 or 11 so again there's just no way we would allow that to happen no. um, you know if we were reinventing the system from the start so that's why you know yeah. it's really good time to sort of challenge those systems that somehow got us into this mess right right we really do need some big thinking to get it to get well, us out 
Yeah, I, maybe this is an opportune time. I know that parents now uh, with schooling sort of up in the air and are we getting back? Parents are struggling to try to find that balance and they've got kids at home, many who are going to online learning. So perhaps there is going to be this little incubation period where we can start to target because I know advertisements in the past have not been particularly successful with young people that perhaps this, there is going to be um, yet another opportunity here while we're on lockdown to target some of, at least in the, you know, the developed world. I think it's a different thing, of course, in the, the developing world. Um, I want to get to, though, um, how you do this, because if we step back from, you know, how egregious this all is, how do you actually talk to to banks, you know, um, and to companies and get them to revisit what they've always done? It, what's I mean, the that's the, yeah, I mean, I think I was very lucky at the start when I ended up working with my pension plan. Um, I, you know, had some conversations, but the first thing was I was backed by the CEO of the hospital. Okay. So that then straight away put me in touch with the CEO of the pension plan. Right. And, uh, and so I had my first conversation with him and a few of his team. Mm -hmm. And I look back and I kind of roll my own eyes at that meeting because I think, goodness <laughs> me, I, I really knew so little about finance. So I really, really had to do an awful lot of homework. I had to learn the language of finance, learn about the systems and regulatory environment, learn how it came to be that that was just the system that yes. basically every financial organization had some affiliation with tobacco. You know, I had to learn a lot. And so I really really sort of did a deep dive into the world of finance and mm. um, and now I've delivered thousands of presentations to boards or finance leaders or um, CEOs, chief investment officers, heads of sustainability at conferences and what I try to do is really just bring people's attention to mm -hmm. the concept that this problem is not fixed. So the yes. world is on track for one billion tobacco deaths this century. One billion. There's billion. Like billion of us. One billion people this century will die because of tobacco. And even if you think of it in a yearly number, which is also horrific, um, it's eight million deaths every year. So, so far this year, right. there's been five million deaths already from tobacco this year. And there is something about that. Somehow we tolerate that and accept that. And you've got to think, you know, COVID this year has has accounted for over 700,000 deaths, which is terrible. Yes, it is. But, but somehow we've clicked in our brain that it's okay that over seven times that number have already died from tobacco. Honestly, that's that's shocking when you think about that. We are on lock. We're on lockdown for fewer deaths by COVID than tobacco. Yeah, sevenfold. Oh, it's not it's, even close. No, it's, it's not crazy. even close. Uh, that's it's crazy. Honestly, if that's if that's not a wake up call, if that's not a wake up call, yeah. And and so why would we allow that to happen? I mean, it is. It's yeah. crazy. And think yeah. of how much we want to protect our kids from COVID. It's crazy. Like imagine, yeah. And the thing is, too, imagine if COVID had six companies out there pushing it. Imagine yes. if those six companies were somehow trying to lure our kids to get COVID. But yeah. that's actually what we're up against here. Six right. big companies right. that are trying to right. lure our kids. That's it, really. This, it's very simple. This, yeah, it's breaking out of um, what we've always done and opening yeah. our eyes, having somebody to open them or help us open them, which which is you. I, you know, and I've said this before, I... Um, 
I think, you know, being this kind of trailblazer, and you can speak to this, it must be um, overwhelming, I'm sure, for the tobacco industry now to have someone coming and actually getting banks and, um, you know, CEOs of investment companies divesting money so they are steering away because this is really what you're focused on. That's it. it. So, I, sorry, I didn't go into that very much. Yeah, so that's yes. it. I, I, I'm asking the big banks to stop lending them money. I'm asking big pension plans and sovereign wealth funds and asset managers to stop investing in them. And I'm asking yes. the big insurers to stop insuring them. And right. we launched our flagship initiative. is called the Pledge. It's yes. called the Tobacco Free Finance Pledge. And we're asking these big financial organisations to sign it. Yes. And at the moment, there's 141 signatories to that pledge, including some of the world's biggest um, financial organisations. And together, they control combined assets of almost exactly 11 trillion US dollars. So it's a lot of money. And we now know that all of that is either tobacco free or almost tobacco free. It's on the journey. And our aim is to, that's probably around about 10% of the global finance sector in terms of money. So it's great. We've got a long way to go. And everyone always says to me, you know, the first 10% is the hard 10%. So, (laughs) and I think when you're doing anything, that's the case. You know, you've got to bring on those early movers. So I think we're we're getting to that point. And I really hope that it's not too many years um, to come before Mm -hmm. people will really look back and think, goodness me, did we actually do that you know in a bit in a bit of the way you know I know that we're not flying now but if you got on a plane now and the person yes. next to you just lit up a cigarette you would think that was ridiculous absolutely uh, but we were doing I mean I took a flight I always remember I was very lucky as an Australian I went <laughs> to Paris to celebrate the millennium in December 1999 okay. and I got on an Emirates flight from Melbourne to Dubai Dubai to Perth and yes. it was smoking all the way Now, that was 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone smoked, the next time I go and see you in Toronto, if someone smoked on that plane, I mean, it just would be incomprehensible. So I really hope, I just cannot wait to get to the day when we find it absolutely mad that Mm -hmm. financial organisations ever had anything to do with Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly, it's, well, hats off. Congratulations. I know that this has been hard fought though, that this is 10 years in the trenches doing this. So make no mistake about it. I mean, that's a commitment. You are committing your life to this. I, I can't um, I can't imagine that anything is going to pull you back into the office of, um, you know, practicing, really treating patients like, you know, at this point when you've gotten on this role and you're seeing this kind of success and, you know, God willing, with COVID um, and what's happening now and the fact that you're getting access that you might not have had so easily. Um, you're saving some time and money and maybe cutting to the heart that this is a renewed, there's a renewed spark in the world or an opportunity, you know, where the the clouds are sort of opening up and saying, okay, Dr. King, we're going to allow you to dive in here in these, these pivotal places. Um, um, do you have any big yeah, goals? I, I really yeah. hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. And I do feel yeah. like the whole world is now really going through a revolution when it comes to the yes. concept sustainability, responsibility, transparency, ethics, integrity. Yes. You, you know, people want authentic leaders. And yeah. I think that even in when, when it comes to big business, you know, who would have ever thought that big business had to have a position on climate change and had to have a position on diversity and had to have a position right. on, you know, ocean plastic? I mean, yes. who would have ever thought? 
But I think that we now have a generation, especially millennials, but we have yes. a generation of people today that just expect that. It should yes. just be there. It should just be done and bread and butter. And so I think there is just this great big movement mm-hmm. away from, you know, what do you do to how do you do it? What do you stand for? What are your mm-hmm. values? And I think that this is, you know, great for the work that I do. I think it's great yes. for the planet. I think it's great for people. It's great for health. And, um, you know, I'm really excited to see who is going to lead these steps and who's going to stand up and, you know, in terms of companies, you know, yes. which ones are going to emerge as the, the really successful companies, even in terms of atta- attracting talent. If yes. you want great people to work for you, it's mm-hmm. funny how many people have said now when, it's, when they're having these interviews with potential recruits, right. it's changed. And the, the recruit is interviewing them on, you know, what is their policy on diversity? What is their policy on equal pay for gender? What is yes. their policy on sustainability? And if you can't answer those questions, I think you're going to really struggle to attract yes. the brightest young minds that really want to see a really, you know, a fair world, an equitable yeah. world and a sustainable yeah. world. Yeah. Well, I know as that generation that's come before them, I don't want to leave that kind of baggage behind anymore. So I am so excited about the idea of social investment, you know, and socially, you know, responsibly investing, people being aware and demanding that this definitely is it. We need to, we need to change and, and it stops here. The buck literally stops here. I love that's that. It. Yeah. That's it. Um, that's it. And that's it. people are far more powerful. Individuals are more powerful than they might yes. otherwise imagine. You know, sometimes people yes. will think, oh gosh, these problems in the world are so big. What on earth can I do? Or how could I possibly have any impact? Yeah. But people do have a lot of power and they have their power through their choices. Yes. And so if you can choose a pension plan that has a sustainability policy, that is tobacco-free, that is looking after the environment, that has an equal uh, you know, opportunity lens over all of its investments, in fact, yes. you can make far more impact than yes. other things that, you know, so for example, you know, people will often think, oh, you know, if I just, you know, choose this one product on the shelf, um, yes. Does that make much of a difference? I mean, even that does, but collectively your yes. money, your money in your pension, money through your bank, money through your insurance agency, your money yeah. is unbelievably powerful and can really yes. shape the yes. world. It can make things happen or make things not happen. So don't ever think you can't change anything. Right. You, you absolutely can. I, I love that. And it's that kind of uh, butt kicking attitude, I think, um, that really has gotten um, you to this point here where I am so proud of the work that you are doing and just cannot congratulate you enough for... Thank you. Thanks so much, Rose. It's been so nice to chat and I really appreciate your support. And I'd love if any of your listeners want to make contact, maybe you can uh, put my Twitter details and I'd love to hear people's thoughts. And, you know, I mean, a lot of this work has been really um, advancing very quickly in Canada. So I hope that we'll have, have lots more success there soon. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I've got the beauty of being able to toggle between the U.S. and Canada and to see what's happening there. So what can people do? I'm going to sign off because I know there is so much more we could talk about. We could talk about the declining uh, monies that you're going to get back from tobacco industries and how there are, you know, it just doesn't make sense. But but what can people do? What is it, what's the takeaway for them um, in terms of how to start to harness this change that you are making happen and making us aware of? I think everybody who has money. So if you have money in a pension plan, contact your pension plan and ask for it to be tobacco free and then ask 
for a broad sustainability policy as well. If they don't Excellent. have a sustainability policy now, honestly, they've been living on the moon. So it's about Good. time that Good. they get one. Um, but the same thing with your bank. Your bank should not be lending money to tobacco companies. It's 2020 and we've just, you know, just it's it's just Beautiful. over. It, it doesn't yep. make any sense. Same with your insurance agency. Ask your insurance agency, are they, um, do they have financial affiliation supporting the tobacco industry? Because yes. the time has come for that to end. Yes. Um, but otherwise, in everything you do, try to cast a sustainability lens over it. So from everything, if you're buying clothes, you know, there's some clothes mm-hmm. manufacturers now that will go all the way back to where their products have been sourced and where the raw materials have been sourced. Um, look for that in your right. clothing. Look for that in your food. Look for that in your choices in every aspect of life because I think that to make this a healthy, safe and sustainable planet, we are going to have to make deliberate choices that Absolutely. align with the world that we want to see. So be part of it and encourage your friends and family to follow in your footsteps. That is fantastic. There's nothing more I can add to that. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this and I cannot wait. Um, there'll be follow-up notes on our sippingonstories.com website as well that people can find out where to get in touch with you and learn more. Thank you so fantastic. much. Thanks so yeah. much. Take care. All the best. Thanks again, Dr. King. Wow, what an incredible interview. Thank you, Dr. King, again, for sharing your leadership story. Um, It's mind-boggling to see that in 10 years, you've really accomplished so much um, getting the world to start to begin to think about the human rights issues, pollution. I never even thought about deforestation and what happens in order for us to have the filters for cigarettes. Um, I can't imagine as well what it's like to travel the world. Um, You heard from Dr. King today. She was typically on a plane um, and away from, she's got a family at home back in Australia in Melbourne. Um, She's away for at least 100 days out of the year. So, you know, one out of every three days she's gone. Um, And it's incredibly stressful on your body. I know what it's like to travel. Um, So I want to commend Dr. King for giving um, really so deeply um, from her, her personal life it's, it's changed everything, and I think we're going to look back and see what a, an incredible trailblazer she is. And she's just getting started. Um, it's a David and Goliath story. We all know that biblical story of David and Goliath. It's one woman starting up and saying, hey, this, this doesn't make sense, um, sitting in a, a cafeteria and learning that she's putting money into what's causing her to have to treat um, cancer patients and then say goodbye to them um, and to watch love loved ones cry and and lose the people they care about. Um, So this is a huge, huge issue. I am so proud to call attention to it. I'd really encourage our audience in terms of takeaway, go into your bank and just ask that question. See if your banker knows, where's your money going to? Are you unknowingly investing in tobacco companies? Um, If you have a portfolio and you're lucky enough to have investments, um, start asking questions. Where's the money going? What, What are you holding in there? What don't you know about where your money is going? Um, there's a certain tenacity that I love about Dr. Bronwyn King. She's just powerful. Um, I love that she's also very strategic. Leave it to a doctor. She's just literally choking the life out of, of what hurts the tobacco industry the most, and that's money. They, they need money to keep doing what they do. Um, she's attracted the attention, this is really interesting, of Her Royal Highness Princess Dina Mirad of Jordan. Um, and I hope I said that right. Um, she is their global ambassador for the Tobacco-Free Portfolios Organization. 
She was one of the first women, actually, when Dr. Bronwyn King told me that when she started on this journey, she started going to conventions, and she was really like a one-woman team. And um, Her Royal Highness was one of the first people to come up to her and to congratulate her and to say, what can I do to help? Um, So to fast forward 10 years now from 2010 when she started this is incredible. So congratulations, Dr. King. Um, Thank you to all those companies that are signing on. There are things, of course, that each of us that can, um, that, that we can do to make a difference. We are powerful. You heard her say that. Um, never underestimate the power of a woman. I'm just going to add that on top. Um, Dr. King is like all change makers that we feature on the Sipping on Stories show. She shows us that we can take charge and we can lead the life that we want to lead, that we can make a difference for other people in the world along the way. So things that you got to do, hit that subscribe button for Sipping on Stories so we get to hear, um, you get to come back and and share these powerful stories with us. I'd love you to give us a five-star rating and let people know that this is a really great show and that it's worth listening to. Please visit our social media handles as well and subscribe to our news updates. We'd love to hear from you as well. If you know someone, you know, someone in your world that's changing things for the better and uh, they've overcome powerful challenges, um, doesn't matter if it's a woman or a man, we're all in this together, we're all in the boat, um, visit our Sipping on Stories and all the related links. Every time I like to sign off this way, it's a personal way. Um, I hope it speaks to you. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to live it well. And I want you to take every single sip and make it count. I want you to know that you are loved, that you should live the best life. You deserve it. And also that we look forward to seeing you every time we come back in the Sipping on Story Lounge. Thanks for being with us. And that's a wrap. <laughs>